Welcome to Part of the Family. I'm Paul Meal. I'm one of the staff pastors here at SC First, and I'm here in the studio with Pastor Chris Riggs and with Greg Beheller, and we are going to be talking in just a few moments about the sermon that you're about to hear. Pastor Kent spoke this past Sunday about the Holy Spirit as our guide, and it was out of Acts 13, 1 through 12. So we'll be back with you to, to talk about the sermon, ask some questions of each other, and just see what we, uh, what we took out of this sermon. But in the meantime, take a moment and listen to the sermon, and we'll be back with you. Here we go, launching into the sermon. Have you ever heard of hypersonic sound? Hypersonic sound. It's been around for about 15 years. A guy by the name of uh, Elwood Woody Norris invented that, and he found this way to engineer sound waves so narrowly that they could hit a targeted audience audibly, like you might think about a laser beam visibly. So that's how targeted these sound waves could be isolated and targeted to, to a particular person. And so what that means is, in the use of this technology, you can be standing around in a group of people, but there can be this audible message delivered to you that you hear that those people around you cannot hear, even in that moment. They don't even hear any additional noise, but you receive that message while they remain in total silence. This morning, I want to talk about ways in which I think we can position ourselves as the people of God to hear the voice of God in some of those same ways where God's message, we can be positioned to receive God's guidance in our lives uh, in that particular way when we attune ourselves to Him. Uh, we've been dealing with some of the names of God, some of the names of Jesus, the names of the Holy Spirit for months now. And uh, today we are going in a direction of the names of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit as our guide, believing that the Holy Spirit truly wants to direct and lead our lives each and every day. And so we're going to turn to a passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Uh, this deals with uh, Paul and his early ministry uh, to the church, and when in fact he had been positioned uh, to receive a message from the Lord. Beginning at verse 1, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Barjesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who had also who also called Paul, who was also called Paul, I'll get it right, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. 
Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, the book of Acts in its totality is a, uh, a great narrative uh, of the early church, and there are miracles after miracles that are done in that, in that book that are recorded for us. Those miracles kind of start right at the beginning of the book of Acts uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, you remember when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples who were huddled up in that room and they went out and began preaching and 3,000 uh, were saved on that particular day. Uh, other miracles follow when Jesus healed the crippled beggar at the temple gate or when Peter is miraculously delivered from uh, the jail cell. Uh, just miracle after miracle, story after story. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 13, one of the most ironic uh, stories uh, of the entirety of the New Testament and certainly in the book of Acts is this story of a man named Saul who was himself a devout and self-righteous Jew, a man who was committed to God. Uh, that's what he believed in his spirit, that he was committed to God, so much so that he was determined to persecute and to destroy these followers of Jesus who claimed that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, Paul was convinced at that time in his life that that was heretical, uh, that, that was, uh, there, was, there was nothing good about that, and so his intent was to destroy the church. And, and at this particular point in time, he was the number one opponent of Christ and Christianity. Uh, that's who he was. By the time, though, that we get to chapter 13, he is now no longer the number one opponent uh, of the church of Jesus Christ and of Christianity, but he is the number one convert. That's who he has become to Christ and Christianity. Now, uh, some, some folks had questions about what that meant in, in Paul's life. Could they, could they really trust him? Had he really... Uh, made this change in his life? Had God made this change in his life? And would he allow that change to continue? And so there were some who were fearful of Saul uh, with good reason, right? They had heard who Saul was. And in fact, in, in chapter 9, verse 21, they say some things like this, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on Jesus' name? So this was Paul's reputation. This is who he had been. And so much so, you remember the story, that it was it was Saul who was holding the cloaks of those who, was, who were stoning Stephen. So that's how Saul's reputation has, had been built in the church. And so the early followers of Jesus Christ, they were fearful of him. They knew he was dangerous, that he was powerful, that he was a threat to believers. And uh, all of that was true in his life until he was on that Damascus road and he was met by Jesus Christ, that light from heaven, and he was blinded on that road and his life in that instant was turned upside down and he was forever changed and he was headed in a different direction. And so by the time we get to chapter 13, uh, Paul has become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. He is now uh, becoming the church's number one missionary and number one theologian. You know that Paul wrote many of the New Testament letters that we now call books and that we read each and every Sunday or uh, every other Sunday we're reading one of these letters from Paul. You can't hardly, you can't hardly read the Bible without reading something from Paul. And uh, I just say, isn't that how God works? Isn't that remarkable irony? Isn't that a remarkable reversal that demonstrates the change that God can bring in any and every life? Well, 
Paul is there. He's joined those followers of Jesus in Antioch, and they are worshiping, and they are praying, and they are eating together. They're encouraging one another, and they're doing that because they are living in what is a very hostile environment, a very hostile environment toward Christianity, and they are experiencing what we would call genuine persecution, genuine persecution. Now, I know Sometimes that that's become a word that we in the church today are using on occasion, this word persecution. But for most of us, if not all of us, if we have ever used that term, we would definitely have to say it's persecution light, wouldn't we? I mean, really? It's pretty much persecution light. I I was reminded of an article that I read during the midst of the pandemic, and so it was about a year and a half ago, ago or so. It was published in Christianity Today, and the author was a guy by the name of Knox Thames, and he had worked in the U.S. State Department. He had worked in both the Obama administration along with the Trump administration, and because of his work in the State Department, he had witnessed and worked in support of those persecuted for their faith in different and various world areas. And so this guy had been around the world, and he had seen real persecution. And his point throughout this entire article was simply to say to American Christians to encourage us to not cheapen the word persecution, stripping it of its intensity and its veracity. Uh, In the article, he suggested that there were three reasons why what was happening in America during the midst of the COVID epidemic uh, were not raised to the level of real persecution. And he had three major points. And he said, number one is motive. This, this man, Thames, concluded that while he saw many inconsistencies in governmental decisions and while he firmly believed that some officials, some government officials are anti-God and anti-religion, I think all of us would say, yes, that's certainly true, but he didn't believe that many or most were intent on destroying churches or attacking people of faith. While we can say that there are some, maybe many government officials who aren't supportive of Christianity, I'm not sure that we can say government is out to attack faith. Number two, he talked about duration. That's why this doesn't raise to the level of persecution. He reminds us that churches, and by the way, synagogues and mosques and banks and hospitals and government agencies, all of those places were temporarily closed for health reasons, to protect the public from the ongoing pandemic. And so this was for a period of time. This was not something that was stated forever. Uh, And in fact, the church itself was not singled out while this was going on. In fact, I would argue that the church many times was favored as opposed to some of these other agencies. If you remember, even here in the state of West Virginia, many times Governor Justice would say these are are, um, suggestions for the church, but they are not enforcing this by law. So how can we call that persecution? Thirdly, violence is always an issue with regard to persecution. Persecution is brutal and violent. And so when your church is stormed by commando-like police raids, or your church building is bulldozed to the ground, or your pastor and congregants are murdered for their faith, then that's called persecution. But until those things are happening, it's not persecution. What we've experienced through the pandemic uh, uh, as the church is not persecution. Amen, I'll say it for you. It's not persecution. 
Just as when, when Starbucks comes out with their cute little coffee cup and it says season's greetings and it doesn't say Merry Christmas, that's not persecution. Let's get real. Let's toughen up a bit. Let's stop being so namby-pamby about it. All right, good, good, you heard me, good. And that wasn't even my sermon today. The Christians in Jerusalem, back then, 2,000 years ago, they were being persecuted. And as a result of that persecution, they were being scattered. They were being scattered, and they came to a place, one of those places, called Antioch. And this is where Paul and Barnabas were living and gathering and fellowshipping with other followers of Jesus Christ. And here I'm getting ready to give you wonderful news. I want to share with you six ways... Six ways in which we can position ourselves to hear the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us and confirm that it is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Some of you are scared to death right now. Six ways. Number one is this. The Spirit's leadership or guidance is something that we must seek after or that we must pursue. Look there at verse 2. You'll notice that the Spirit told them to set apart Barnabas and Saul while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, fasting is not something that we talk a lot about in the church. It doesn't get a lot of amens either because it's difficult and hard. But fasting is a time in which we choose intentionally uh, to, to undertake this spiritual practice of stepping back from food or activity or other distractions in order that we might focus on prayer and seeking the Lord. That's what fasting is all about. And it's no coincidence that it was while this early church, while they were fasting, that they sensed the Lord's direction and his guidance is in their life. My, my guess is that they were praying for and that they were focusing on and they were pursuing that very thing. And so it was no surprise to them that once they were pursuing that with such intensity that the Holy Spirit was faithful to speak to them. And so the question for us becomes, what are you in pursuit of? What are you seeking after? What do you really want? You know, we will make incredible sacrifices in our life when we really want something, when we're really intently interested in something. They will make extreme sacrifices to get there. We push ourselves, we risk, we invest, we reprioritize, we focus, we become single-minded if it's important enough or if it's valued greatly enough. Isn't that true in all of our lives? And so if you're preparing for a marathon, right, then you intently do that each and every day. Nothing stands in your way. This is what you're going to do. You're on a path to get there, and you're going to be sure you get there. It's called pursuit. It's called pursuit. What's a, what's a first semester education of M, at MVNC worth compared to the woman of your dreams? She's sitting over here to my right. I mean, my, my grade card told you the story, what I was interested in pursuing. It wasn't education at the time. It was Kelly Weghorst at the time. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? By the way, this week we will celebrate our 35th anniversary. My mom and dad, who are clapping at this time, have just celebrated their 60th anniversary. Yeah. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? I'm asking myself, why don't you ask yourself how intently, 
how intensely you're pursuing, seeking after the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life. This is not, I tell you, this is not just Jesus take the wheel kind of theology, right? That's not what this is. We pursue God's will for our life. It doesn't just happen naturally. Not every decision that you just make off the top of your head is in accordance with God's will for your life. You need to find yourself quieted before him each and every day seeking after what his will is for your life. I don't think we need to live in fear, right? I don't think we need to tiptoe around. But are you assured that what you're doing is really in pursuit of God and what he wants for your life? Um, I wanted to share this illustration that talks about that, about being quiet before him, about getting rid of all the other noises of life. It goes back to a time before refrigerators even existed, right? This was back in the time of ice houses when they would, in the wintertime, cut these big blocks of ice from frozen up lakes or streams and they would take them uh, kind of in the cellar type situation of an underground room, if you will, thick walls and, and uh, a firmly uh, secured door, no windows, of course. And they would put these big blocks of ice in these rooms and they would put all kinds of sawdust on top of them to kind of act as insulation. And then they would store items in there. And sometimes that ice would actually last until the summertime, from wintertime into summertime, being frozen like that and, and keeping things cool and, and in, in good shape. Um, it was one time when a guy was working in one of these ice houses that he lost his pocket watch. He couldn't find it anywhere. And he had several of the men uh, who worked there as well looking for this watch, and they, they never could find it, just couldn't find it. One little boy heard about this story, and one day he decided he would go in search of that watch himself. And so he went inside that room and found the watch. He emerged with the watch, and all these men were like, how in the world did that happen? And so they asked the boy, and here was his response. He said, I closed the door, I closed the door, I laid down in the sawdust, and I kept very quiet and still, and soon I heard the watch ticking. Isn't that, doesn't that, explain exactly how we can receive the word of God for ourselves. When we quiet ourselves, we become still before him, we remove ourselves from all the distractions of life, and we allow the Lord to speak, and he well, the second point is this. The Holy Spirit's guidance was not an individual thing. Notice there in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Uh, I, I, I think this may be the most important point in, this, in the service. It kind of cuts across everything that we believe culturally, right? Where we believe all power and right belongs to an individual. And it's become really emphasized and it's almost deified that I will do what I want, I will do what I prefer, I will do what makes me happy. We've even created a vocabulary around this idea where we are called the me generation, right? That's who we are, the me generation. And I want you to notice that Paul didn't come to the Antioch worship service and say, God told me something. That's not what happens here. And of course, we've all been around people who've said, well, you know, God told me to tell you such and such, and you're like, what? You know, maybe God will let me in on that at some point as well. But, you know, so many times we, we're all about what, what is God just saying to me? What, what is God saying to me? Where the leading of the Spirit here in Acts chapter 13 is not primarily, it's certainly not exclusively directed at an individual. This is a place where the Bible cuts across the grain of our culture and our ways of thinking 
that are many times bullheaded and independent. Luciano de Crescenzo presents different imagery for contemplating a discipled life when he writes this, We are, each of us, angels with only one wing, and we can only fly embracing each other. John Wesley said much the same way with different words when he talked about the protection and confidence built in fellowship and accountability and discerning together the things of God. And so he formed his bands. Do you remember that terminology? He formed bands that sought the will of God for each other in prayer and in dialogue and in scripture reading. And this was a group effort, not a solitary endeavor. His comment was this, it is a blessed thing to have fellow travelers to the New Jerusalem. If you do not find any, you must make them for none can travel this road alone. What I want to say to us is this, in, in, in so many places right now in the church, even within the church, not just within the world, right, there is this resistance to community. And actually, I would want to say to us that it's here if you'll actually become a part of the community and avail yourself to all that the community offers that you will receive what you need. The Spirit wants to speak to the community. He wants, you to, give, he wants to give you the confidence of operating in the community's blessing. So many of us as Americans overvalue our independence Again, we think that means I can do whatever I want to do, and what we need to learn is the discernment that is found in community, where we can receive clarity and unity in the body, yielding to the Spirit's leading and doing that together. Point number three, and it's kind of connected to that idea, the Holy Spirit's guidance or leading is accompanied by a blessing from the group, a blessing from the group. Uh, in this case, confirmation came from the congregation of Jesus' followers there in Antioch. In verse 3, it says this, After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. In first century terminology, that was the blessing of the church. That was affirming the Spirit's direction. They were encouraging Paul and Barnabas as they followed the Spirit's leading. And I just want to give us a reminder, right? We can't just, we can't just say we're going to do these things. It's not just enough. It's not just enough to ask for the church's input or to request the church's counsel. The question is, is there a commitment on your part to follow what the community says and to follow the instruction of the community? Paul and Barnabas, what I want you to see in this story is they did not rush the process. They didn't rush the process. They weren't out there waving goodbye to the church already. What did they do? They waited to be sent. And so it wasn't like their minds were already made up about what they were going to do. They actually waited on the decision, the church's input, before they made this decision. When we claim the Spirit's guidance, when we claim to be, if we're going to say, if we're going to say we're being led by the Spirit, then here's what we need to consider. If our fellow believers... In our home, in our church, in our circle of accountability, if they don't sense the Spirit's leading in a particular direction in our life or that the Spirit is guiding us to make that change or to take that step or to do that thing, whatever that thing is, if our circle of Jesus' followers is not willing to place their blessing on it, then we should be very careful about proceeding. But how many truly live that way? 
How many truly live that way? How many of us live that way? Do you know there are some Christian traditions who do a fantastic job of living that way? They have early on decided that they were going to push against this, this idea that Christianity is just an individual thing. And they, they encourage and they receive and they ask for the input of their community of believers, their small group, if you will, their circle of friends who are Christian. The Quakers have done that for years. They practice and they call people to clearness committees. So if, for example, a Quaker couple is considering marriage, they are encouraged to appear before a clearness committee, a group comprised of wise and trusted members of the spiritual community to pray and to ask them honest, open-ended questions to help them become clear about their next step. And only once that agreement or clarity is achieved is the resulting decision blessed by the group. Sounds like a cult to me. <laughs> That's exactly what some of you are thinking right now. It can be cultish if you're not depending on the people of God to be in tune with you and listening like you, you're listening to the Spirit and you come to these things together. But God, through the Word, says that this is where strength is found within the church. And this is one of the ways in which we have given away one of the great blessings of community. Because we're going to do our thing and I know what's best and nobody will tell me what to do. And it's a fallacy and it's immaturity and it's selfishness and it screwed up a bunch of your lives because you've made a bunch of decisions that way. When God has given us a better model to follow within the church. But will we yield ourselves to that and not be so prideful about it? That becomes the question. And so when you receive instruction from someone in the church, how do you receive it? How do you receive it? Is it initially, is it always, you know, I'm resisting that? If it goes across the grain of what you want, do you resist it? Do you reject it? Nobody will tell me what to do. Just food for thought. Point number four is this, and I'll speed through these last three. The Spirit's guidance pushes us toward mission involvement. Verse 4, Paul and Barnabas were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. The reason that they were sent out by the Spirit was to further the mission of God. We see a great example happening of this at Pentecost. I've already mentioned it, right? The, the Christian followers gathered there in the upper room. Uh, they were there to hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up, the powerful wind, the things that look like uh, flames of fire on their head. But why did the Holy Spirit come? So they could stay huddled up with the holy? No, not at all. But they were pushed out of that room into the streets of Jerusalem and they began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't stay in that room. They were pushed out to further the mission of God. And that's what we want to be as a church and as a people, furthering the mission in our community. Upward basketball and cheerleading. I think signups are starting very, very soon. Look for something on your email. For 50 years, can you believe it? Kitty College Daycare has been in existence ministering to kids in this community and families. Thanksgiving dinner, celebrate recovery, block parties, on and on the mission of the church goes. And all of it, all of it means the mission has to be front and center. We can only do corporately together what we are willing to involve ourselves in individually. 
And so here's what I want to ask you. That's the purpose of the church. And I believe that's your ultimate purpose as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that his kingdom might be advanced. I think that's the most important thing that we can ever get to. And so whatever decision that you're currently facing right now, whatever you're contemplating doing, I want to ask you this question. The decision that you're now making, the direction that you're now seeking, how will saying yes or no to that particular decision of your life advance God's kingdom. So that's where we need to be making our decisions. If I'm considering buying a house, how will that advance the kingdom of God or work to its detriment? If I'm going to change jobs, how is that going to advance the kingdom of God or work to the detriment of the advancement of the kingdom of God? If I'm entering this relationship with this person who I love and maybe it's going to be a marriage relationship, how is that going to advance the kingdom of God or work toward its detriment? That becomes the ultimate gauge of why we make the decisions of life. How will it advance the kingdom of God? Point number five is this. The guidance or leadership of the Spirit does not shield us from difficulties or obstacles. Look there at verse uh, 8. It includes this interesting note about a sorcerer who opposed them and tried to turn another man, the proconsul, from the faith. Paul and Barnabas, they were invited to preach to a Roman leader, over on the island of Cyprus, the leader was called the proconsul. He was the ruler, but there arose opposition to their preaching. Surprise, surprise, there was someone who didn't want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be advanced. That shouldn't surprise us. That's always at every turn. They didn't want their leader, these people, this particular person, didn't want their leader to receive Christ and have his life changed. And that should never surprise us. Paul, in a different part of the New Testament, says that we're going to come up against principles and powers not of this world that are in opposition to us. And so this is not a surprise. We live in a world where obstacles and problems and difficulties are going to arise on every hand. And just because we're being led by the Holy Spirit does not mean that we're immune to that. We don't live in a bubble. We don't preach a problem-free gospel. We don't follow a leader, Jesus himself, who was protected from suffering or difficulty. No, Jesus faced those struggles, and why should we be surprised when we do as well? It's what Jesus told us to expect. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Wake up, face the reality. That's what we're called to. So I say to all of us, Don't believe for a second that because you're now facing opposition and difficulty that that should make you think that you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. No, many times we're led right into that battle, but we have the assurance that he is with us. He will never fail us. He will never leave us lonely. And so we have his abiding presence with us and he will make us an overcomer through Christ. But don't think for a second, because I'm facing difficulty, somehow I've missed God's call on my life or I've missed God's will for my life. That's not at all what that might mean. Point number six is this, and man, I'm moving just right along, and it's 12 o'clock, so I'm almost done. Verse 12 says, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And so it led to life change. That's what the ultimate result of this. Paul and Barnabas met this sorcerer. He was opposing them. God miraculously struck the sorcerer with blindness, and witnessing that, 
as a result of the problem, as a result of the difficulty, God was able to interject himself into that situation and the pro-council believe and trusted the Lord as a result. Isn't it interesting how God works? He led Paul and Barnabas from Antioch across that portion of the Mediterranean Sea to the island of Cyprus. Somehow, some way, they were led to the Roman ruler and he invited them to preach. And even though there was opposition, somehow, some way, God used that opposition to reveal his power and to result that ruler was redeemed. Listen, this is what matters when it comes to our decisions of life. The end goal should be redemption and salvation and life change that is what the holy spirit is always after if you're making your decisions of life based on well what my own blessings might be or my accomplishments or what's going to benefit me then that's a totally diametrically opposed way to how the word of god would say that we need to be making the decisions of life what he would say the holy spirit would say is what difference is that decision whatever decision it is that you're facing what difference will that decision make in someone eternally in their salvation? It could be you or it could be another, but that's the most important thing that we could keep before us and in our mind. What are the six things again? The Spirit's guidance must be pursued. Don't just throw up your hands and say, Jesus, take the wheel. What are you in pursuit of? Number two, the Spirit's leadership is not typically individual. Look for the assurance and the confirmation of other Christian believers that surround you. If you're operating on your own all the time or almost any time, you're in significant trouble. Don't just trust yourself. Trust those around you to hear with you the voice of God. Ask others to pray with you. Seek accountability. Seek, seek direction. Don't be so blasted arrogant. Number three, the Spirit's direction is accompanied by the blessing of fellow believers. Look for that confirmation. Four, the Spirit's leading furthers the mission of God in the world. Fifthly, expect some opposition. Don't think you're on easy street as a result. Plow through knowing that he is with you. And six, the ultimate goal is redemption and life change, that your life might be saved and that the lives of others might be saved around you. I'm out of breath. Is anybody else out of breath? Let me pray over you and I'll let you go. Father, we thank you. This is your word to your people today. We pray that you would take it, apply it to individual lives. There are some, no doubt. There are some, no doubt, facing important decisions in their life right now. There are some facing decisions that they haven't considered all that important, but that can, in fact, be so dramatically life-changing. And so we, we encourage your people today to seek after your leadership and your guidance in the decisions of their life. You want to have a say in all that we think, in all that we do, in the decisions of life. Help us to not be arrogant. Help us to involve you in that. And we'll trust you to provide the answer. We, we trust you that where your word says that if we seek after you, you will be found. And so we're seeking your purpose, your will for our lives individually. We do that as a church as well. And we trust you to lead us. And it's in Jesus' name the people said, amen. Welcome back to the studio. Again, I'm here with Pastor Chris Riggs. Hello. And Greg Beheller. Gentlemen. And uh, we are glad to be back in the studio with our technician, Nathaniel Crowder, who's off mic over here. 
Um, it's been a, a great summer, and we've had some wonderful services and a lot of great things happening here at the church, but uh, our schedules just really didn't allow us to get together over the summer. So now the school's back in session, and we're all kind of on a more regular schedule. We're, we're back here to to follow up and have some uh, conversation about the sermons. Um, this was a great one to jump back in on. I, they've It's been a good summer of, of, of sermons anyway, so you, we encourage you to go back and listen to those on YouTube or Facebook. Um, I especially liked last Sunday's. Uh, one of the things that we talked about, there's there's two moments. My wife always says, she said, there's two things that really let you know it's a good sermon, and one is when Kent cries. And the other is when he comes out from behind the pulpit. <laughs> and in that sermon last week, the, he did both of those things. And he, he came out from behind the pulpit, this one, too. So um, last week he talked about the, the thing that brought him from out behind the, the pulpit was service. And just really getting on it to say, and if, if you're not doing something in in the church, if you're not helping to build the kingdom, then that's something that God's really calls all of us to do. So it was, it was really, uh, really sort of a powerful moment. And then uh, this week, again, Holy Spirit as guide out of Acts 13, 1 through 12, and he jumped right into it with hypersonic sound, that really focused sort of sound. Um, I've not I've not had a chance to experience that in, in life. Have you ever had seen that technology I think you, in action? I, well, actually, I think you ha probably have. So they use the same except not in the way you think. I sometimes I've been to some museums where That's you'll true. actually be sitting through, go walking through a museum, and you'll be able to hear that that narration without anybody else hearing it within a four foot radius. I but, have seen those. So, so you know, it's be, some, be some of those concepts feet on the floor, and you stand there and yes. little little yes. disc over and, here. And so there's some yeah. concepts. It's not truly probably what the hypersonic sound he was talking <laughs> about was, but I've heard of it happening before. I, I I think it'd be very handy to have this technology. So uh, as we dive into this, as Holy Spirit as guide, what uh, what jumped out at you here, especially in this intro part? Um, um, well, I really, you know, I, I found it's interesting, um, you know, of course he's talking about, about Paul here and, um, and really when we look at the book of Acts, just the amazing, um, just the amazing ways that the Holy Spirit was moving in the church. And we all think about Pentecost, right? Cause that's obviously the, the natural thing, but really, um, a lot of the stories in Acts are, is just the Holy Spirit speaking and moving and, um, really telling you know, telling people in it what they needed to be doing and saying, and just at the right moments, at the right times. And, you know, we look at it sometimes for acts and we think of the structure of the church or how should we be as a church. But really when it comes down to it, it's really acts as a, a good guide for us to understand how the Holy spirit works in our lives or should yeah. be working in our lives and uh, what that should look like. So, um, yeah. And it's interesting that you've had a bunch of other sermons about the Holy spirit. And yet this is the one this sort of really gets at just the underlying nature of the of the Holy Spirit's uh, role in our lives as as guide. I mean, he's all these other things too, and we'll talk about some more of those even coming up. But but Holy Spirit as guide, I think is is probably what I think about uh, mostly. You know, it's what it's what Jesus left behind for us when he wasn't here to guide those that he was with one on one. So he left this this presence that that can guide us every day. Yeah, and I you know. I, I do find it interesting that, um, you know, we sing a lot about um, wanting the Holy Spirit to come, that we want the Holy Spirit to fill us, that we want the Holy Spirit. Um, and yet, isn't it interesting when um, his first point is the fact that this is something that has to be pursued? 
And I think pursuit in, mm. in his mind, uh, in Ken's mind as he's reading this, is more than just singing a song asking for the Holy Spirit to come. Right. It's something that takes practice of, of quietness before God. It takes prayer. It takes seeking after him. It takes fasting. fasting you yeah, know, the yeah. fasting part of it, yeah, I mean, that's... that's uh, yeah, I, I have I, I've struggled with that at times. You know, what I mean, it's, <laughs> well, and I, I like that in that as he was talking about fasting, he also you know it, it food fasting, of course, is what we mostly think of. But um, then we talk about Lent, and one of the things that lots of Christians do in modern times is fast from other things that maybe are are serve as distractions. Um, you know, fasting from food is designed to help you take that time and sure. allow the hunger to help you focus. Um, and spend that time in prayer, of course. But these other kind of fasts, a phone fast or a tech fast or, you know, those sorts of things allow us to have that focus as well. So it is, it, it is something that maybe we should all, I mean, I don't think there's a maybe about it. We should all at those. <laughs> Isn't at, that funny though? You times, find yourself yeah. saying that. You find, right. I do too. Like maybe we should be doing, no, no we yeah. should be doing this. <laughs> yeah, let's see. The Bible says we should, and it's, we know it's a good thing. Maybe we should. Yeah. 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 I think for, um, in the band setting, I know Pastor Kyle calls us to fasting occasionally. We'll be praying for uh, specific things. And it's sure. something that he mentions and something I've probably practiced more in the last year or so. Um, and it's, um, it's challenging. It's challenging. I don't consider myself a, a big, big eater, but, but even at the times when I skip a lunch, you know, every once in a while you get that feeling in your gut, like I'm hungry. And, and so to, to do that in pursuit of, um, allowing God to speak to us for us to, to be more dependent on God during those times to feed us and nourish us with other things. Right. Um, it's really a great practice. And yeah. And I think that story tells the end is such a true statement when he's talking about the, uh, the kid or that when they lost the pocket watch right. and he's laying in the sawdust, it's not the issue. There is not that it's just to be quiet, like no sound. It's it. It helps us focus whatever we're doing, whether it's fasting, whatever we're pursuing, the goal here is for us to, Stop yeah. and focus to stop and seek after that pocket. Seek and, after and God listen, with intent, right. no matter with what it is. Yeah. It's, not, it's not about just silence, it's, and, and that's part could be part of it for sure. But it's the intent. Is it, how am I going to do this? It's because I'm going to sit and listen. I'm going to find ways, whether that's through fasting, whether it's through fruit for food or otherwise, or whether it's through prayer, or whether it's through taking just time out in a closet somewhere or focusing. You know, right. really trying to listen for God's voice. Because um, I, you know, I don't think. You know, I've always been of the opinion that he'll speak if we'll listen. You oh, know, like, sure. <laughs> it's not like he's sure. you know, it's not like he's going to be silent. A lot of times, we're not listening. So. Well, and one of the sermons that uh, I don't think we had a podcast about, Pastor Cassie preached earlier this summer, and it was all about silence, and right. it was about you know stopping and listening, and, yeah. and really making that a point. It was really I tried that. So Pastor Cassie talked about that, and I drive to Beckley. It's an hour drive, and being able to just not. Not even turn on worship music, but just to be quiet. Um, Was it hard? It's hard. It's okay. <laughs> I can be quiet, but the mind being quiet yes, uh, is, yeah. the, is the biggest piece of that. And so you're, you're, my mind would wander from the things I have to do at work and I have to try to refocus on, okay, I just want to be like tabula rasa, right? It's right. totally blank here. And it was very, very challenging. But, um, you know, it takes practice, I think, yeah. you know, to, to get your mind quiet. And, and, and the amazing thing is it's like it's almost like um, when you do something that's challenging like that, the rewards are incredible. And you think to yourself, why don't I do this more often or why don't I have yeah. this happen? Because, I mean, that's we've had a couple spiritual discipline retreats I've been on where we've just kind of done that same kind of thing. And it's taken us two or three days into it to really get to where 
you can do that. And then you get into it and you're like, oh man, what, why am I not doing that? I mean, you feel right. so clear and you feel like you're really hearing God. And you're like, why don't I do this more often? You know, just the hustle and bustle yeah. of. Yeah, it, it is. And um, it, it is hard, but it is rewarding when, when we really take that time. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, that illustration of the boy going into the ice house and just listening, that's, that's such a picturesque mm -hmm. sort of uh, illustration of this. Um, one of the uh, one of the asides uh, that we were we were talking about uh, may have been a later addition for Kent was talking about um, persecution when he talked about Paul being a persecutor of the church and how um, I think there were a couple of things that sort of addressed who we are as sort of um, Americans you know all of us just the culture we've been raised in um, we we have been blessed to to have free reign of religion. And so anything can sometimes seem like persecution. And I liked that, that Kent made the point. He said, you know, there are, there are people in the world who are truly persecuted. There are places where the church is truly persecuted. And uh, by the blessing of God, we, we don't have that right now. And, you know, he mentioned the Starbucks cup and uh, several, several different things like that. The, the COVID restrictions and are those things inconvenient and can they affect the church in a negative way? Yes. But he made the point, you know, they affected everything in a negative way. Um, there wasn't some targeting of the church in that. And I think it's important that we really um, take a moment to think about that because it can set us, if we're not careful, it can set us in an us versus them sort of place where that's not what we're called to do. We're called to, to minister to our society um, we're, we're called to, to be separate in, in those ways that matter. And yet we're called to, to go, go forth, to go out. And, um, so I like that he really said, you know what? No, we're, we're not persecuted. We still have these freedoms and we, we still have this calling. And so we, we well, have to go forward with it. And I, and I think it's important. And let me go plug for Violet here because and I think it's important for us. And one of the reasons, you know, missions is so important to keep in front of us is that if we don't hear about, if we never hear about these stories, um, we're sometimes unfamiliar with the idea that persecution exists outside of our, of our context. And it does. I mean, um, from personal knowledge, my dad used to work in Mozambique and we know Christians who were slaughtered for, right. uh, for their faith, you know, and because they had to believe and, and stories of people who were asked, are you a Christian? And they had to make a choice and they were killed. And I mean, that's, I mean, you know, we need to come to the understanding that, you know, we are blessed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, just, it's just like, I always encourage people at some point in their time to go out and go on a mission trip or go outside of the country. Right. It's important to have a bigger perspective um, because sometimes we can get so insular, you know, we it's just, yeah. it's us. And uh, we don't realize that the church is, is being persecuted and it's not uh, something that can come about. It's this idea that it is, I mean, it is right now being persecuted. Yeah. I like that Kent shared those. I think there were three, um, like maybe not, yeah. finding things yeah. that that are you know recognizable in the persecuted church and giving those out and as he read through those i just you know i thought yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know we're yeah. right we're not but yeah no no it doesn't, and that doesn't it mean persecution light it doesn't mean that we don't have struggles and right. it doesn't right. mean that there is not times when it is not as easy to exercise our faith as we would like it to be but it definitely didn't fall in the three category all of the three categories that it would take to be right. person, according to that article and, and i agree with that mm -hmm. i mean especially when it comes to the violence aspect right. of things yeah and you know truthfully if we're if we're seeking for the church to grow and be stronger than it's ever been and for our own faith um nobody wants this but the church thrives often in the places where it's persecuted because people have to really dig in and make that choice and it it, it 
it certainly that's not always the case, but it, it can really thrive in places. Yeah, I'm not where, really sure where we come away with the feeling that we're that by following Christ, we're not going to have to pick up our cross and right. we're not going to have to be hated because the world hated him. I mean, right. this is this is going to be we're going to face struggles as we proclaim the gospel. It's just the truth. I mean, it's not, but, right. but have they risen to the level that some of the, our Christian brothers right. and sisters face? And no, it doesn't. It was not. We have been very blessed. And then I thought it was also interesting. One of the things that, that he also talked about was our sort of American individualism. You know, I, 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 I do this on my <laughs> this own. Is this is my, and, and yet the, he talked about this, that the Holy Spirit's guidance was not in the Bible, was not an individual thing. And the following point that it's accompanied by a blessing from, from the group. Um, that's, that's difficult for, for us, I think in our society, because I, I mean, I know I, I, I shared my testimony in celebrate recovery recently. And one of the things that was a real awakening for me was having to acknowledge how much I hate asking for help and how much I, I want to be able to do it on my own and be an individual and, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't naturally embrace the idea of leaning on a community. And that, so that's difficult. Well, and I think he maybe even stressed this in the sermon. That this is probably the most important part of, of the sermon is community, this sense of community. And I, I can tell you that, um, you know, I think Marissa and I were talking about this this week and I just said, you know, after the sermon, I just was taking this inventory of community and, um, you know, we, we have, we're really not a part of a community right now. We have been throughout our church life at different times, but because of, um, you know, maybe because of, of, of when fuels practices, I'm not able to be a part of a Sunday school class and we haven't participated in a, in any other type of small group. And I, I, I mentioned it to her and I said, Hey, this is something that we really need to work on. You know, we've, I've been a part of the church for 30, 30 years, but, right. um, but not a part of a, of a, of a group where I have that kind of relationship where I can say, you know, hey, this is a this is something we're thinking about, and I would appreciate your your prayers and feedback on it. Yeah, right. and yeah. so I think it can happen even within inside the church, right? That you just you can get so busy with things, and not necessarily yeah. bad things, but but how important community is. It really made me step back and say, okay, look, we've got to work really hard at trying to fit into a space where we can be, you know, a sure. part of a community. And so that's, that's well, homework for me. That's that, something I identified. Right. That's a very Western thought too. I mean, that was not, that is not really a biblical Eastern thought. I mean, it's not, it's, it came into being later on this individual idea of the individual Christian. It's never really been that way. I mean, scripture doesn't back that up really, honestly, I mean, at all. I mean, right. it's, it's not, I mean, uh, the idea that we are on our own and our faith is on our own and all the decisions we make are individual. It's just not, it's not supported anywhere. And it was, and for a long time, wasn't thought of that way. The, the idea was the community was a corporate sense of the church. Right. Um, you know, and so, you know, it, it, it's interesting because yeah, because if you look back, I think it is kind of parallel with this kind of American idealism, this individualistic nature. And, yeah. uh, and, and so it is interesting. So I, I, I've took a couple of classes on that where it just talks about the, the idea of somehow, sometimes we read scripture from an individualistic standpoint mm. and a lot of scripture is meant for the church, for his people, right. for, as a community, as a, a corporate group, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was great. Yeah, well, I missed that. Yeah. And the the old uh, the old sermon illustration about the the guy who the the guy who hadn't been coming to church and the pastor visits him and sits down by the fireplace and doesn't say anything and just reaches in and 
and with the tongs and pulls out one coal and sets it on the hearth away from the fire. And that the fire continues to rage, but that one coal, just that ember, just slowly dies down. You know, we are meant for right, for yeah. community. Yeah. Um, our our fire dies when we when we aren't in. Yeah, we're designed sort of that way. We're yeah. literally designed that way. Yeah. I mean, that's the way we've made been made. So. so. Um, and then, you know, his final point is just a great way to wrap it up, that the Holy Spirit's leading is purposed for life change. And uh, this is this is something that every now and then I sort of sit down and look back, you know, where was I five years ago? Am I having the same struggles now that I did five years ago internally? Am I dealing with the exact same temptations in the same way that I did 10 years ago? Am I... It, Am I successfully allowing myself? Am I getting out of the way so that God can change me um, through His Holy Spirit? And that's that's an evaluation I think we all have to do at some point. Is just sit down and say, you know, am I am I being changed by my relationship with God through His Holy Spirit and in community with with the body of believers? Um, that's that's where it's all headed for. You know, if there's if that's not happening then somewhere I've, I've stepped out of the boat and not in the good way that I'm walking on water. <laughs> I've just, I've just fallen off. So, yeah, I mean, it helps us to remember, and sometimes it's easy for me to say this and it, it still have to apply to my own life. But, you know, as a pastor, people think, oh yeah, well, you're, it's easy for you because your end goal, you always think the end goal is, is, has to do with God because every day you're dealing with God every day you're having to do this. But I mean, but that's a true statement. I mean, even for me, I, I mean, at, at the end of the day, this is all has to be, this change has to be towards an individual purpose. And right. this purpose is advancing the kingdom. I mean, that's what this is about. I mean, everything I do on this earth, and I love when he said that, are you, are you yeah. asking the question, is this, is this advancing the kingdom? And you know what, in your mind, I know the first thing I thought was like, oh my, what about, what about the decision to, you know, to get a boat or to, or to, or go on this vacation? How does that, you know, and I can say, well, I can justify that by saying this or that. And I'm not saying we can't go on those things. It's just that, am I legitimately asking that question? Right. I mean, not just blowing it off. Am I legitimately asking that question? You know, can I honestly stand before God and say, I thought about that when I, when I did that, God, I thought about that. And the answer was, I believe it was going to help the kingdom. I believe that in some way this was going to work in this way to help the kingdom. Or are we just doing it because it makes us feel good or because the fact that we think it's, a, you know, what I want at this moment. Right. Uh, that end goal thing is so important because we can get so caught up in other things, our hobbies, our good things, our, good things, our hobbies, our jobs. We can get so caught up in it without the understanding that the whole reason we are here. I mean, the whole reason every day I wake up, that reason is, is to advance this end goal. You know I mean? That's the yeah. whole point. It's not so that I have a, a great career and can look back on it and say, oh yeah, I had a, a wonderful work experience or I had a, let me be honest, it's not to look back and say, oh, look at my family and how wonderful it was over the years. You right. know I mean? That, I mean, those are all wonderful things, but that's not the end goal. I mean, you know, that's the end goal is to advance the kingdom. And so, yeah. you know, we're to be about that. I think that's, I was, and that's how Kent was, that was great. Well said. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the sermon? I don't know. Did, did you, I love the idea of Paul, the line in the very first part of the sermon where he's talking about, you know, here, you, just the imagery again, the number one oppressor, you know, the number one oppressor. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who just hated the church. We're talking about if there was a number one F on the FBI's on the, on the Jewish, I mean, <laughs> on, on the Jewish most wanted, right. It would be 
Saul. Opponent number one. Opponent number one. The person you stayed away from. And I don't think we fully get the understanding of that. You know, like like this was a guy who if you saw him, there'd be a good chance that you may not. And you you, and he found out you're a Christian. You wouldn't be alive anymore. And then suddenly showing up at your meetings and your gatherings. He's saying, he's saying, hey, why don't we do more? You know what you've been doing? No, we should do more. (laughs) You you weren't a good enough Christian. When I was persecuting you, you weren't a good enough Christian. Let's go do something else together. It's just amazing that change. It that is, it's, change. It's, it's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and oh, that we would all see that kind of change in our own lives in, in smaller yes, ways. Yes, you know, that, I agree. that kind of turnaround. So, yeah, that's a good thing to pray for. We, um, uh, we're glad you joined us today for part of the family. We hope you'll join us in person if you're in the area. Uh, we have services every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And, I thought you uh, meant to the podcast. You can do that, too, if you want to. Wednesdays at sometime in the evening. Yes. Yeah, you can come sit with um, us. But yeah, join us at church, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. We also have Celebrate Recovery on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Um, we have a grief share group going on right now. We have a ladies Bible study about to start. Youth group is about to start back. We have kids quizzing. We have, I think, choir is starting back. There's just all sorts of things as we're resuming our podcast. The the uh, life of the church is really revving back up for come, fall as come well. Come be part of the community. So, yeah. Come be part Absolutely. of Absolutely. Right. We're not meant to be That's right. uh, to come live this life as individuals. So come be part of the community. And thanks for being part of the family. Yeah.